Are you ready? Are you shitty down? We're going to pull back the curtain on the divorce process, the mistakes and the missteps. How can couples navigate the divorce process? Can you still divorce in a healthy way? The conversation is as good as it gets. It's fun, insightful. It will change the way you think about your life and how to tackle life's challenges. The Shine On Podcast, season three. It's episode 56 of the Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. On today's episode, I am joined by Dawn Deus, author of the newly released book, The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce. It's a book that I couldn't put down and a title I absolutely love. Why? Because it's real. It's honest. It's transparent. And it is a perspective into the divorce process and what really goes on from a person who has lived it and been through the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the struggles and the successes. Dawn and I talk about life, love, marriage, failure, and the biggest lessons that she learned after her divorce. We get into her book and what it's like to have a blow-by-blow account of her marriage in a book for the entire world to read. And producer Dave, on the last day of January 2023, and I can't believe we're about to put a red bow on this month and say happy February. Let me ask you, what's the one thing to start 2023 that surprised you on relationships, the start of the year, your own life? What's the one thing? My ex-wife is still speaking to me, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) That's always a good thing, right? It's it's a good thing, yeah. I just, I'm always happy to share my personal experiences. I I guess I'd say that, personally, my ex-wife and our relationship has probably never been better. I always say knock wood. And it's just, sometimes time heals all wounds, and it's been a number of years for me. So for those who are still in the early years of divorce, I say there's, there's hope that things will become strangely peaceful. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Dave, let me ask you, what do you attribute that to? Is it time? Is it your children getting older? Is it life? Is it maturity? What what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of everything, I think. I have the benefit, I think, of having an ex-wife who is, some might think she's actually kind of a, serious person. She's a a criminal prosecutor here in in Massachusetts. So you wouldn't think she'd be, you'd think she'd be kind of a little bit more of a tough cookie, but over time, we, the more time we spend together, mostly on the phone, talking about the kids. My kids are, are older now. Our youngest is 20 and just headed back to his, his junior year in college. And so life changes. And if you agree to sort of share those moments with your spouse, then that, I think that's healthy. And so that's where we are. So we'll, we'll No, Dave, that's a great place to be. And Dave, we have an incredible docket today. So as we always do here in the podcast, let's fire it up. Let's do it. And now let's see what's on the docket. Item one comes to us, a, a very interesting take on how companies should be handling employees going through divorce. This particular theory item, call it, comes to us from the Daily Mail. Item Item one, one. 
Headline reads, sitting at home moping doesn't help. Business ex- expert says bosses should give staff going through a marriage breakup more work to distract them amid calls for official divorce leave. So sounds kind of counterintuitive to me, Evan, but your thoughts. Dave, look, you call it an interesting take. How about this? I think it's an outrageous take. (laughs) I couldn't disagree more Mm. with business expert Tina Knight. Her take that she would, quote, pile work on staff going through divorce, I find reckless. I find it out of touch, and I find it absolutely insensitive. Knight goes on to say, I've had many employees go through divorces and worse, and sitting at home moping doesn't help. Is she serious? She (laughs) presents the choice as if sitting at home moping is the only thing people do when going through tough times. Is she kidding? Is she absolutely kidding? Mm. Dave, is she out of touch or is it me? No, for sure. Now, listen, for some people, being busy distracts us from things. That there's no doubt about that, and we always say whatever you can do to get your, yourself out of a crisis, do that thing. If it's more work, then go for it. But <clears throat> that's not for the bosses to decide, right? The the bosses, I think, have to show at least a modicum of sensitivity for an employee going through something like this. Is that what you're saying? Dave, thinking? as a business owner, you should care about <laughs> your employees' mental health. You should yeah. offer opportunities and ways to help people get through tough times. And Tina Knight's a business consultant. Mm. Her answer, her response, her way of helping employees who are going through a divorce and life-changing, life-altering times when their personal life is suffering. Her answer is to pile on the work, Mm. to bury them in work, as if this outrageous suggestion would magically block out their family being torn apart and going through transition. Dave, come on. Yep. I'm with you. Item two comes to us from Psychology Today. Item two. Headline reads, can the gray divorce be a perfect financial storm? How to prepare and protect your financial well-being during and after divorce. Couples 50 years and older can obviously face big financial surprises, this article says. Evan, we've talked about gray divorces before. Your thoughts on this article? Dave, this is a fantastic article by Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg. And as you mentioned, we've talked on past podcast episodes on the rise in gray divorce. And we've talked about the reasons. Longer life expectancy, less stigma, financial independence, or different life interest. The article gets into things that you may not think about if you were over 50 or over 60 and getting divorced. And the great points in the article, Dave, those are things that attorneys should think about for their clients. Because as an attorney, to understand and to appreciate all the factors, all the considerations, emotional, financial, that may make a split for a client. When that client is over 50 or 60 years old, unique from a typical divorce, as an attorney, you need to truly understand that. We move on to item three. Item three. This item also comes to us from Psychology Today. Headline reads, Women seek divorce more often. The aftermath isn't always easy. Dave, two quick takes on the article in Psychology Today. Look, we've talked about statistics on the podcast, and these statistics are real. I do find that women seek divorce and initiate divorce more than men. The article goes on to list five reasons that marriage falls apart. 
relational concerns, behavioral problems, infidelity, responsibilities are not equally shared, and values. Let me add three more to this list. Communication, finances, and trust. And Dave, you're divorced, and you know a lot of people who have been through divorces in the process. Any other thoughts, anything you would add to the list of reasons people call it quits to separate? Yeah, it's, well, like like a lot of things, I, I think time, we change over time. And I don't know if we've talked about this specifically in the past, Evan, but when the construct of divorce was first a thing way back a thousand years ago or whatever it was, people only lived to 35, 40 years, 40 years old. They didn't have the benefit of a huge window of time to sort of evaluate their life and whether this made sense. Basically you got married, you had kids. And then shortly after that, you're, you left the earth. So that that's maybe that's an obvious point here, but with people living longer and being healthier, warranted. I mean, my, my mom's 80. She still goes to her Zumba classes like every Tuesday. And she's like you're jumping around like a, like a teenager with all that time and all that time of, of sort of level-headed thinking. I think you could just simply evaluate why, what you want to do with the rest of your life. And that may include getting divorced. And Dave, by the way, speaking of Zumba, Yep. My father can't get enough of Zumba. Really? It's like he loves it. He's been talking about these classes, these Zumba classes for years. He can't get enough. So it's good to know that somebody else does also does it. So <laughs> Yes, it'll it'll have to have my mom if when she visits New York find out from your dad what the best uh, Zumba classes are in, in that area. <laughs> I love it. We are now up to the portion of the program where we hear from you, the listener in this installment of Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Ask Evan. Today's edition of Ask Evan. This question comes from Samantha in Scarsdale. She writes as follows, Evan. I am coming off a three-year divorce with my ex. It has been a challenging time for me, but I am looking to start fresh. I'm in my mid-40s, and now that I am through my divorce, I am hoping post-divorce life brings the happiness I read so much about. My girlfriends want to throw me a so-called divorce party. I like the idea. It sounds fun and a way to start this new chapter, yet I also feel conflicted having a party to celebrate what was a tough chapter for me. Have you had clients feel this way before? Samantha from Scarsdale, thanks for the question. I had a client sitting in my Westchester office just the other day. She was in her early 40s, and she had just received her signed judgment of divorce back from the court. She had mixed emotions. Her divorce was a bit shorter than yours, but she too was in conflict. She was tired. She was exhausted, but she was also excited about the future. She too was looking forward to the next chapter. She had a job that she loved and she recently started dating someone. Yet divorce, Samantha, it brings so much emotion from all different angles and it's a lot to process. But I would say that if your friends want to throw you a divorce party, do it. Enjoy it. Celebrate this moment. Celebrate moving forward. Celebrate the start of this chapter. And oh, by the way, if you need some divorce party ideas, check out the fun article from January 27th by Kelsey Krieger in Parade. And Dave, let me ask you, did you have a divorce party? Have you ever been to a divorce party? No, and no. <laughs> and it's interesting because I love a good party like everyone else. And I do think that 
if you make it through the, the throes of the divorce process and you're looking towards a happier tomorrow, it is something to celebrate. But no judgment on others, but I personally thought it would be distasteful. I, I, I would think about what my ex would think if she saw pictures posted, hey, I had a great time at Dave's divorce party. That, that would be, I think, a bitter pill to swallow for her. And so it's a, it's a delicate thing. On the other hand, if you feel that you're the one who's kind of been spurned in this thing, maybe it's, it is a moment of retribution for you. So those are my thoughts. And Dave, that's exactly why phones and picture taking and posting to mm. social media is an absolute no-no at any divorce party. That's another edition of Ask Evan. If you want to submit a question for Evan to answer on the podcast, email producer Dave at david at pod617.com. Our featured guest on this week's episode of the Shine On Podcast is Don Dez, author of the new book, The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Dawn, it's great to have you on the show. And Dawn, we're going to get into the book, but I want to start by asking, many people take great pains to keep the details about their divorce private. So what led you to the decision to share the details about your split publicly in your book? You know, that was kind of the line that I had to walk very carefully when writing the book. I've read, This is, I think, my 10th book that I've written, and I am very aware of the fact that it's your writing in permanent ink. And I was writing this book when I was probably about a year, year and a half out from my split. And I, I also know that when you write something, it doesn't come out for a year. And I knew that I was probably going to be in a different headspace in a year. And so it was all these things were kind of going around in my head when I was writing it. You have to be conscious of the fact that you're writing about other people and not only my ex, but you know, my kids will read this someday. So that was actually a really big consideration in writing. There was a lot of edits. <laughs> there was a lot of cuts. There was a lot of my editor saying, this is great and we can't use any of it, but lovely. <laughs> so glad that you got that out. But yeah, we I did a lot of that. Uh, so there are a lot of things in there that I think are vulnerable and the truth, but there's definitely, it's not everything <laughs> because it's not just my truth. There's other people's truth and I don't have the right to tell everybody's story. So I kind of just try to tell my story and then at the same time sort of make it universal for everybody that's going through this shit show that I think is somewhat universal in theme. And Dawn, you mentioned your many other books that you wrote before this one. Was this the most difficult one to write for you? Oh yeah, for sure. I've I've written mostly humor books. Like I trained for a marathon. I'm like the world's laziest person. And so a lot <laughs> that was just kind of naturally funny. Um and then I had kids and that kind of brought its own level of humor to it. And I that's when I started writing my shit no one tells you series because I had no idea what the hell I was doing with my children and so th those books and most of my books were written from sort of a humor bent and this one definitely has humor but it's not an overtly <laughs> humorous topic and so a lot of the I, I tried to constantly find humor in it but it was mostly just in like the absolute absurdity of your life after divorce and just 
kind of the sort of stuff that's not really funny when it's happened. I guess parenthood's like that too. It's not very funny when it's happening and you look back and you're like, wow, that's actually just ridiculous. And you can find the humor. And so I'm always kind of looking for ways to, to find humor in situations where people might be going through them and feeling like, oh man, this is not fun. So, but yeah, it was definitely the most difficult. Cause like I said, it, it involved other people's stories that I wanted to be conscious of. And so, Dawn, the title of the book and really the title of the series is The Shit No One Tells You, and this one is about divorce. And so when I look at that title, and again, I want to ask you because to me, I love the title. And you're spot on because there's so many things as someone who's been through the process, gone through it, that when you look back, what's the one thing that you wish someone told you when you started on your divorce journey? I have a quote at the beginning of the book, uh, from Brene Brown and it's it starts with we don't talk about grief as a part of change enough it does people a disservice and if we don't understand that grief is going to be part of change and that loss is going to be part of change I don't think we can su- successfully evolve and I think that for me I was in a marriage that was just sort of dying on the vine for years and years and years and when you're in that kind of marriage you sort of see divorce as your finish line And you're like, as soon as I get there, then everything is going to be awesome. And I was just exhausted by the time I got to that finish line. And it turns out it wasn't a finish line at all. (laughs) It was just like another beginning of something that I guess I just wasn't expecting it to be. I thought, especially because I'm the one that ended my marriage, I think I just thought it was going to be a lot easier than it ended up being. And that's just naive. But you know, that hindsight is twenty twenty. So I think the biggest thing I, I really wasn't expecting is how much I was going to have to go through after what I thought was the end. It was all good. Like I, I'm about two and a half, three, two and a half years out now. And I'm just a completely different human. And it all is because I went through and I didn't, I didn't shy away from it. I went through it, all of it and came out the other side at a much better version of myself. But I think a lot of times people, when they come up against something that's hard, they think, oh, maybe this isn't the right choice. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like, no, just keep going, keep going. I promise there's, there's something better waiting for you on the other side of all this. And Dawn, you created an interesting and really colorful list of phrases when you went through the divorce. And I'm going to read you each of those different phases and ask you to give us a brief description of each one in one or two sentences. First denial. Well, when one of the first therapists I met with really wanted to equate divorce to grief and said I would go through the the same phases you go through for grief. And she wasn't she was right in some regards. And and for me, the grief was the losing my kids half the time. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting the grief from that. I had grieved my relationship years before but losing my kids hit me hard much harder than I thought I was going to so I I thought there are stages of grief and they are very similar stages of divorce and they are very similar to grief but they are a little different as well so the first one is denial which is that's the same one with grief that's first stage of grief too and I think that's just 
it's just a lot of denial of what is what is happening, what has happened. There's a lot of denial of your role that you played in things because everybody's always the good guy in their own story. And eventually that denial has to morph into something a little more introspective if you're going to make any headway. But yeah, that's kind of the first one is like, fingers in the air, blah, 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 blah. Nothing's happening. Nothing's <laughs> happening. Everything's fine. It's not fine. Now let's jump ahead to another phase, Netflix and cry. Tell us about that. That was, that was my, I would just kind of sit on the couch and eat Chinese takeout <laughs> and watch. And this, I got, I split up during COVID. So like it was isolation on isolation because you couldn't even really do the like, Hey girls, let's go out and yeah. get my mind off this. Nope. We are all on quarantine. So you need to just sit in your house and be pathetic. But that I would just watch like the saddest documentaries. I mean, some of those documentaries where you're just like, at the end of it, it your whole soul is just empty because of dirt. I mean, the most depressing documentaries I could find. And I don't know why, but I just kept watching these. It, it's sad and pathetic. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was just sort of leaning into it. And people would text me, how are you doing? Just great. I am doing awesome. I am watching this documentary about just awful topics, freaking Holocaust and, and Newton shooting and all that. And I'm just like, ah, eating takeout. Yeah, that was, maybe it was just my way of like giving myself permission to grieve through documentary and wontons. I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you a question about that. When you would get those text messages from friends, from family, checking in on how you were doing, did you like it? Was it annoying? Was it sort of, did you want to be alone? What was your mindset given that phase that you were in at that time? My friends and my family, my friends especially know me well enough that they do a good job checking in without saying, hey, checking in. Yeah. They'll like send me a stupid meme or like it send me a link to something and we'll get talking. And it's mostly, I thought they, they did a very good job. And I do that sometimes with people who are in different states of grief, whether there's been a loss or a health issue or whatever, I'll talk to them about it. But a lot of times I just try to make them laugh, like in, and not, and talk about anything, but the thing, my friends did that for me a lot. And they were just sounding boards to like the ridiculousness that was going on. I'm sure they were so tired of me and my bitching about whatever. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to people need help but it's really hard to know how to approach it and and not be annoying and not be like overstep. It's a, it's a balance. Usually you can kind of fill out the person. But yeah, I I remember looking back on it, I just remember the people who just kind of didn't so much write and say how are you? They would just write and say anything. And it it really it means a lot to me now cuz I can see what they were doing. They were connecting with me in the way that they know that I I would be receptive to connection without overtly asking, how am I doing? They just send a stupid joke or whatever and kind of get me to start talking or whatever. So yeah, it's nice. It's a good thing to do. Just, just say, hey, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be anything too deep. How are things going with a divorce? Like, no, you could just I don't know, just reach out and a good meme goes a long way. Communication. <laughs> <laughs> so for memes to the next phase, tell us about the whole phase. Oh, that's, I think this is a really important phase because I think that like, 
everything is really serious when you are going through divorce. Every part of your life is very serious. Your custody schedules, your mediation appointments, your therapy appointments, everything just heavy and big and important. And a lot of times people start dating and they're like looking for their new person or their new spouse, which do not do that. That's an awful idea. <laughs> and it's lazy. Like what you're doing is you're trying to find someone to like band-aid you back together and you're going to have to do the work eventually. So you might as well do it at the beginning. But the whole phase to me is the fun phase. Like go let dating be fun. Like don't overthink it. Don't worry about this person being the one, the next one, your next spouse or whatever. Like go make out with a stranger. Who cares? Like go have dinner with someone who's like excited to sit across from you and have a conversation. Cause like at the end of divorce, I think that was one of the hardest things is just complete lack of communication, the inability to sit across the table and have a conversation that isn't weighted down by like 12 years of shit like mm -hmm. just go have fun and like let someone like you and i don't know meet new people like just and not and let it be something that isn't heavy the one thing in your life that isn't heavy and doesn't really matter like who cares if you never see this person again <laughs> you know like go that's, feel that, good that's the fun that's the fun part of it yeah i mean be safe like it that's obvious like be safe don't do anything that's going to put yourself in danger but I don't know, like go be stupid and have fun and act like a 19 year old that doesn't have all this other shit weighing you down. It, it can feel good. It feels good to feel good. I think sometimes that, you know, transforms into a relationship because people are so excited that they feel good with someone that they're like, this is the person. You're like, probably not. <laughs> it probably just feels really good to feel good because you sure. haven't felt good for a really long time. No. So like, don't like make this into something bigger than it actually is. It's just a phase, a lovely phase. And Don, you said that after a divorce, people can really discover a better version of themselves. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. I just think, especially if the the marriage had kids involved, there's a, I remember I just, I was drowning in kids and relationship and job and everything for a long time and especially with kids like and i love them to death but raising babies is a lot of work and you don't really put yourself in any any you don't put yourself in front of anything you just kind of keep pushing yourself down the list of things to do and i really really didn't like losing my kids 50% of the time it was really really hard but then on the other side of that I had 50% of my time to like, just take care of me. And that was crazy eye-opening. When, like, when did you realize that that part of it, that other piece that even though you were not going to be with your children 50% of the time, but you would have 50% of the more time for yourself. When did that click for you? Like I said, it was um, the pandemic. So I probably would have clicked a little earlier if I had the ability to like go outside sure. the house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even at the beginning, I'm pretty good. I, I've dealt with like depression and stuff throughout my life. And so I'm pretty good at taking care of myself. And I knew, I knew I had to keep moving. I knew that I could only do the Netflix and cry for so long before, like I really needed to like move. And I remember it wasn't that long after one of my friends invited me over to like sit outside and have an outside like fire pit talk and like wine or something. And I was like, Oh, Okay. 
this could be fun. Like I don't have to get home to my kids and I'm just sitting here, I'm being human. And it, then I, I, I was like, well, we got to make the best of this. Right. And I can't just sit around like being so sad that I miss these kids. I have to go do stuff. And so I started getting hobbies and making plans and doing things. And then I don't know that I found a better version of myself. I think I reconnected with kind of an older version of myself. Like when I was younger and I think I just kind of found myself again because you just get buried beneath the day-to-day of raising small children and being in a relationship that is not happy it's just I was gone in a million different ways my friends when I like not that long after my friends would be like hi welcome back you know like they didn't even notice <laughs> it because it was so slow yeah. and then when I came back to life they they were like, Oh my God, I had no idea you were so far gone. And cause I was just numb. I was just completely numb to everything. And so, yeah, that has been definitely a silver lining. And my friends that are married with kids are like, yeah, I wouldn't hate to not have my kids half the time. <laughs> you know, and I'm super lucky because my kids, my, my ex is a really good parent. And okay. so I, I know when they're not with me that they're safe and they're loved and they're taken care of. So I don't have to like stress about that. I can just be like, they're good. Everybody's good. Now I'm going to go be good. I need, I need to be good in order for me to be good for them. And that's the kicker too, is that I stayed for so long because I couldn't bear the thought of not being with them. And then now I realize that I'm so much better for them and the 50% that I have than I ever was in the hundred percent of time that I used to have them because I was gone. I was just numb and I wasn't happy. We were, none of us were happy. Well, the kids, I don't know, but my ex and I were not happy. And that makes for a home that's not happy. And now they get to be in a happy home hundred percent of the time. And that was the goal, right? So it sucks that had to happen because we broke up, but it's pretty beautiful that we made it to the other side and we, we are providing that for all of us. Absolutely. Don, what does your ex think about your book? I don't know. Actually, we haven't <laughs> talked about it. It's one of those things that I was going to show it to her when I was writing it. And then I was like, my therapist is always woke, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What is yeah. the outcome you're hoping for? And I think ultimately I was hoping for like, a, oh, yes, this version is totally the version that I agree <laughs> with. And the fact is like you have two different versions of reality. And I think the more distance we get from it, we have kind of come to a point where there's a grace of understanding that relationships are nuanced and we both played a part in it not working. And so I, I tried to take that into consideration when writing. There's, like I said, a lot of edits. So my cat just walked in the room. My cat gets very upset when I'm talking on Zoom because I think she thinks I'm losing my mind. <laughs> so, so she comes and starts meowing at me like, oh no, who are you talking to? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, we haven't talked about it. I, I, I know that I, I edited a lot because I, I was writing it knowing that she was going to read it. My kids are going to read it, that kind of thing. I hope, I hope that I gave an, a, a, an account that is honest in what I did wrong too. And I don't know, you have to take responsibility for the roles you played. And I hope that I did that enough. Though in statistics typically put the divorce rate right around 50% of all marriages. Of the 50% that remain married, in your opinion, what portion 
of those people are actually <laughs> unhappy. Staying marriage is far too long, but they're too scared to leave. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I mean, have you, there have there been studies on this? I'm sure there have. Yeah, there's studies, but you know, you talk about how you stayed obviously with kids and, and things yeah. like that. And people stay for all sorts of different reasons. And as you reflect to that point in your life, thinking about people, friends, people who either were in similar situations, different situations, people struggle with making the decision because it's such a big one. When's the right time to leave? I mean, you're my editor would constantly say, you need to add stuff in this book for people that don't have kids. <laughs> I'd be like, that's a completely different experience because yeah. if I divorce someone and I don't have kids with them, this is a very less complicated situation that the growth and the, my, my friend said the other day that she watched her brother go through divorce and realized that their relationship, they had to work harder after divorce than they did when they were married because that was another thing I didn't expect. Like I kind of walked away from the marriage table years before I actually left. And then we got divorced and we have to do this, the most important project on the planet together with the Raisi's kids. Yeah. And so then we have to come back to this table and learn how to communicate in ways that we just never were able to do when we were together. And it's like, it's maddening especially at the beginning because you're like didn't I blow up my whole life to get away from you and now I have to deal with you every day and not only do I have to deal with you I have to actually I have to actually deal with you and I have to actually figure out ways to communicate and I have to show you grace and I have to grow and I have to we have to be gentle with each other and we have to communicate well it's not it's ridiculous but I do think that people, I know I did, I stayed for a good five years longer than I wanted to, that I should have. And I think that, I don't know, it's hard because I just wasn't ready to leave my kids. They were so, they were little, I think they were six and eight when I finally left. I couldn't, I don't think I could have done it when they were three and five. I, I just don't think I could have. I, I tried a couple of times. I like put deposits down on apartments. And then I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't leave these kids. So there was even a period of time where I was living in a different, a different room downstairs. And that happens sometimes too. People are just cohabitating. Sure. And I convinced myself that that was totally okay. Cause I wanted to be there for my kids. And my friends were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. These kids are the loves of my life. This is what I'm doing. And I think that period of time was probably just the worst because it's this weird purgatory situation where you're not in a marriage, but you're not in a divorce and what's over, but you're still having to cohabitate with somebody that you don't want to be with. And that, that was really toxic because it was just, I don't know, it was bad. And so I, I would always recommend to not do that <laughs> because I think that, that if we had broken up before I got to that period, I think, I don't know, I think that co-parenting would have been easier. At least the explosion maybe would have been easier. I don't know. Well, Who even knows? now from what I'm saying, I mean, divorces are taking so long, whether you're in the court system, out of the court system, you can have, and people often do, these living arrangements that yeah. go on for six months, six months turn into a year, a year magically turns into two years, if not longer. And everyone's life is in limbo, the children, the yeah. parents, and it really delays the inevitable transition for the parents and, and for the kids. It's not a healthy place to be and really for anyone. 
No, it's not. But you talk yourself into it. A lot of times there's financial issues. Like a lot of people have to sell their house. And so it's just like, it's, 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 it's a lot. And it's a lot to manage blowing up a whole life and figuring out when to pull that trigger. And I don't know what, I can't say what's the right thing for anybody else. I, I've had a lot of people ask me for advice because I wrote this book and now I get a lot of like DMs from friends and acquaintances and I'm like, okay. And they're just like, I'm going to, I want advice on should I leave? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know your situation. I know our yeah. situation was I needed to go and we needed to not be together. That's just our story. But you know, that's not everybody's situation. I, I do think sometimes people just put their head down and they just do the thing because there's kids and you just like, you're on, I did this too, where you're just, you're on like something, you're landed like an object that's in motion and it's hard to get off an object that's in motion. Yep. Like we, we built this huge life together. Like we were very good partners. We were very good co-parents and we built great careers. We were building, we were buying, we had like five properties by the time we split up. And so we were building with two kids, five properties, two great careers and this and this and that and like all this stuff. And I think ultimately all that was just kind of a cover for the fact that we weren't actually happy. But when it came to blow it up, like that's a lot to blow up. <laughs> it's a lot to blow up. It's a lot to blow up. And ultimately I walked away from a lot financially and I do not regret it at all. Not for one second. Um, I might, when I get older <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I really miss my retirement. But I like, I've had friends that do that too, where they're like, I can't, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm thinking of taking her back because I don't want to buy her out of the house. I'm like, oh my God, no, do not do that. You cannot get back with her because you don't want to buy her out. Like that's, that's not a life. Don't do that to yourself. Like it's just money. So I don't know. It's, and then they say that second marriages have a much higher failure rate. And I think it's probably because people like get the hell out when things are not going well. Whereas with the first one, you got kids, you got that, and you're just like, you put your head down, you stick it out. And then the second one, you're like, nope, peace, I'm done. I think, and maybe there's not as many kids in that situation, but also you just, you're not going to do it again. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's the psychology behind it. And on your books, the shit no one tells you about divorce and your other books, they really seem to reflect sort of a, a phase in your life, whether it's pregnancy, raising children, and now divorce. So I have to ask you, what's the next book going to be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Everybody keeps asking me that. I, I'm actually working on a fiction book right now with my kids. I'm writing a, a middle grade with them. I've always wanted to write fiction. And I think that's been a, kind of an interesting thing because- a lot of my other books, all my books have been about surviving something, especially divorce, the ultimate survival. But everything else that I've written is like a funny take on surviving these like yeah. crazy undertakings. And I think one of the biggest things that have come out that's come out of my divorce is like I came back to life in so many ways. And one of those ways was creativity. Like I, I found my creativity again and it's been fun. I writing books that are nonfiction is a navel gazing that can get a little tedious. Even right, reading this book, I wrote it like, I don't know, a year ago and I read it now. I'm like, Oh Lord, <laughs> like, it's just, it's a time capsule. Not everybody has their journals published. It's not awesome, but it is a, there's a, 
like navel gazing to it that can get a little tedious. So I don't know. I, I, I'm writing fiction and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Who knows what other crazy shit I'll take on and then write a book about. <laughs> hey, Don, just one question from me, producer Dave. Most of what you write about seems universally familiar. I'm a, I'm a divorce guy. I recognized a lot of the themes and struggles that you write about. Were you even sort of cognizant of the fact that what you're going through as a same-sex couple might be different? from that of a straight couple. I think I became more aware of it as I talked to other queer people who had gone through divorce. And then my therapist made a point that even finding resources, it can be difficult. And that's something that I got lucky with. But like when in conversations with most people that I don't know, I use like they, them, I don't reference the gender of whoever I'm with. And it's just sort of protective thing. And I don't even, I'm not even conscious of doing it. And it it's one of those things that you just never you're when you're queer, you're constantly coming out and it's freaking annoying because it's just like, I do I need the the guy that comes in, the, the pest control guy to know my story? Like, it's just it's <laughs> annoying and you have to make this constant like decision whether you're coming out to this person. But then when you're going into a divorce situation, you have to make sure that you have mediators, you have to make sure you have therapists, you have to make sure you have lawyers, you have to, there was someone that came to do, to notarize our divorce agreement. I needed to let her know before she got here, there's two women signing. Like, it's not a huge deal anymore, but you just never know. And so it's something that you have to take into consideration. You have to make sure these people are queer friendly or you're not going to get the support that you need. Mm. This was absolutely fantastic. Your book, The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, is a must read. It's out in 2000. 23 tell everybody where they can pick up a copy of the book where they can read all your other books really find out about all the wonderful things and resources that you have out there my website is dawndeus.com and it's my last name is d-a-i-s this is great i want to thank you for coming on the podcast thank you for having me episode 56 of the shine on podcast what a show and producer dave what a doctor and what an interview with Dawn Deus. Her book, The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, is out now. Pick it up, read it. It really is that good. And Dave, you brought your A-game as you always do. How about that show? Terrific show as usual. Great and unique thoughts from Don Deus that I think we, we haven't heard from any other guests. The roster of stars appearing on Shine On, the library builds, Evan. And you can listen to podcasts on all major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to the podcast. Follow the podcast and subscribe. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Hold up. 